If you were to be able to boil down the Christian life into one word, what would that word be? There's no wrong answers unless it's way out of bounds, unless it's just cray, cray, crazy. All right. Commitment. Did I hear love? All right. Good stuff. Partnership. All right. Pray. Praise. Faith. Yes. Okay. I'll be vulnerable here. My right ear is slowly declining. All right. So I might need somebody else to translate what I said, but I can hear you. <laughs> we just got deep up in here, right? Okay. What you got, Ron? Service and obedience. Amen. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys sharing. Let me see. I don't have a lot, but uh, uh, some of you guys can share here. Uh, ooh, dang. Pocket was deeper than I thought, guys. Thank you for your sharing, all right? Participation, all right? He'll figure it out. I'll let Dustin figure out. He's an engineer, so he'll figure it out. So, yeah, relationships, right? And uh, there's a, I think all the things that you guys share is important and key. Um, but, you know, when Jesus was asked by one of the experts of the law, which is the greatest commandment, Jesus indicated the most important commandment was our relationships. That's what I put. When I thought about uh, one word, I thought about relationships. And, you know, Jesus pointedly said the most important commandment was our relationship, our relationship with God. And a close second is our greatest, greatest was our relationship for people, loving our neighbors like ourselves. Amen. And I just want to say, I, I love how uh, the text says loving our neighbors like ourselves. See, you, we got to learn how to continue to love ourselves, right? We got to continue to grow to help ourselves see how much God loves us in a healthy way, right? And then as we continue to do that, then we'll be able to properly love other people. So it's a dual thing. We're kind of doing these things at the same time, right? Because you cannot give what you do not have. So as I'm trying to grow in my personal relationship with God, I want to also be able to make sure I'm it's exuding out of me towards other people. But relationships, you know, I believe it's a safe assumption to say relationships are the core and essence of the Christian life. This morning, I want us to look at uh, a perspective of what godly relationships should look like as a community from the book of Philemon. The story of Philemon is about a, a runaway slave who is being sent back. Hope that don't trigger anybody talking about slaves today. But it's a story about a runaway slave who is being sent back to his former master under the direction of the Apostle Paul. It says so much about how we should treat one another. It talks about grace. It talks about mercy. It talks about forgiveness. It talks about love. It talks about thanksgiving, appreciation, strength. All these things that we said, that's what Philemon tells us in this one chapter short book. It's about, it's one of five books in the Bible that just has one chapter. We see Obadiah, obviously Philemon, second, third John, as well as Jude. Now, there's, there's three key players in this book that I want us to look at. He's talking to a whole house church. He's talking to a bunch of other people with some funny names, Archbishop and all that kind of stuff. We'll look at that in just a second here. But there's three key players here. We got Paul, who authored the letter, possibly in prison here. We see that in verse 19, 13, and 23. We're to read that in a minute. He's a scholarly guy. He's a zealous Jew. He's in prison for Christ. And then we got Philemon, a Christian recipient of the letter. He's some Gentile. Supposedly he's some wealthy guy. I, I don't know, but he's a Gentile. Fellow worker of Philemon. 
And then we got Onesimus, who's a runaway slave. Former master is Philemon. And he met Paul while he was in prison. We read about him also in Colossians chapter 4. Clearly well acquainted with Paul. Now he shows up with the letter from Paul to give to his former slave owner, Philemon. This letter is supposed to change the whole trajectory of their relationship. Why do I highlight all this, family? It's because the beauty of the church community is filled with people from different races, cultures, and experiences and backgrounds. Can I get an amen to that? But, our, but just because we have diversity doesn't mean we don't need to grow in our unity. We got to always keep growing. And anytime you bring a diverse group of people together, like we see in Philemon, you have an opportunity for either great conflict due to a culture and inhuman and unjust situations and institutions, or you have an opportunity for great glory. You know, the, the Roman law of slavery in Rome and the Roman world was accepted. It was a part of their DNA and their culture. There was severe punishment for runaway slaves. And what's interesting is when Paul met Onesimus, he didn't send him back to his slave owner like he was supposed to. To the authorities, where he could have been rewarded, got some money in his pocket, got a happy meal and kept it moving, right? Oh, Chick-fil-A or Canes, I'm sorry, guys. A little, a little out of date, right? But sometime later, he writes a letter, and Onesimus goes back to Philemon. J.B. Lightfoot says in St. Epistles to the Colossians and to Philemon, he writes two to three years before Paul wrote to Philemon as a slave uh, who had been killed by his master, a Roman senator, the law demanded that when this happened, the entire household of slaves would also be executed along with that slave who, didn't, who did the killing. So the senator had 400 slaves, and because he had one runaway slave, basically the Roman Senate held some special hearing, and they executed all 400 of those slaves because of that one runaway slave. This was the backdrop socially and culturally when Paul wrote this letter to Philemon. So why is this important regarding godly relationships this morning? Well, it's an opportunity for great potential for people to see the glory of God through having godly relationships. Because if Paul could have convinced Philemon, the slave master, to forgive Onesimus, who had wronged him, and accept him as a brother in Christ, the word would spread like wildfire. Can you believe this runaway slave who's supposed to be killed and everybody else here is killed? He got taken back and he's not just being brought back as a slave, but he's calling him his brother and he's a Christian and he's supposed to treat him right. If that word gets out, it's no different today. The world is watching the lives of Christians to see whether godly relationships truly work. And today, just like a Philemon, God wants the word to get out on how we treat one another. He wants what we're doing here to seep out into the world so we could be a light based on how we treat one another. The world is looking to see do we work through our issues and our problems and challenges of life with loving kindness, gentleness, patience, and understanding? Now we'll read Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that your sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man. Oh, now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I am appealing to you for my, for, for, for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful, both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary. And not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while. So that you might have him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me or even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Oh, and one more thing, Jerome. Prepare a guest room for me, <laughs> for I am coming through. I'm hoping through your prayers to be restored. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so does Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. This morning, I want to share four tips for godly relationships on how we can continue to grow and mature and walk with God and with one another. Amen. I have four things. Let's get it going. Number one, godly perspective. These are some things that I see from this, this one chapter book. And I'm, I'm sure when you read it on your own, you're going to pull four other things. Because you know, in one verse, you could just get so much out of it, right? But I pulled I pull four things I thought would be helpful for us today. The first thing I see is godly perspective helps bridge spiritual relationships. Godly perspective help build spiritual relationships. Paul had great perspective on his personal problems and pain, which drew others not just to him, but more importantly, to God. Why is this important regarding spiritual relationships with others? Because before you can appreciate or properly spiritually help someone else, you need to first do inventory and make sure you appreciate and see how God is working and moving in your personal life yourself. Paul understood life is all about perspective. He was confident, but he also recognized he was the worst of all sinners. He knew his need for Jesus. He knew God's grace was sufficient for him. He had perspective on his pain. He had perspective with things he went through in life. Paul begins and ends this letter mentioning God's grace. 
He opens it up talking about God's grace in verse 3, and he closes it up in verse 25 talking about God's grace. It summed up everything about how he related to God and to others. Why, why do I say this? Paul is writing this letter as a prisoner. That's perspective, right? And if you just heard what I read, he's talking pretty excited about things, and he's in prison. I don't know about you, but there is nothing exciting to me about prison. In order to have a healthy relationship with others, you must first have a healthy relationship with God and to see just how he may be trying to work through the suffering pain in your own life. Otherwise, it can stunt your personal growth in regard to the depth of your relationships with others. Recognize the mercy and grace God has given you should, should make you give that same mercy and grace to other people. Paul had a godly, healthy perspective about trials and tribulations and circumstances of life. He understood pain produced character. We see that in James 1. He was persecuted, but he said, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He didn't say, oh, I'm persecuted. I got beat, spit, kicked. No, he's like, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He even puts the positive spin on that, right? Do you hear the positive spirit about his condition and situation? No, Damon, I don't. I, I don't. Well, okay, I'm going to help you out. Philippians 1, you can jot this down, verse 12 through 14. Listen to how he communicates. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has uh, happened to me has served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Here's a guy in prison, knowing that people are hurting for him, being in prison, and he's fired up, trying to fire and, and, and excite and inspire people who are not in prison. So the question for us off the gate is, in the midst of suffering, what's your attitude? What's our attitude when we're struggling? How do we come off to God and to each other when we're struggling? Paul gives us this perspective here about how to handle our personal pain when we're going through stuff. Do you see it? Paul sees Jesus as so glorious that suffering for him is an honor. He says that Philippians 129, for he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. I don't know about you, but I want to have this kind of perspective when I go through stuff. See, my pain and shame and suffering as something that's honorable, something that's granted to me. Paul understood godly perspective helps maintain healthy spiritual relationships. Second thing we see in Paul that can help us mature in regard to our godly relationships is Paul used his gift to help uplift others. Paul uses his glory, his gift to uplift others by encouraging other people. Through, his, through this short letter, we see Paul genuinely use, uses great tact and words of affirmation for both Philemon and Onesimus. Paul's word choice made people feel included, valued, and part of the team. Paul had a way of encouraging people and acknowledging that their contribution mattered. You're valued. We need you. He was inclusive instead of exclusive. Paul 
Verse 1 says Paul addresses Philemon as a dear friend and a co-worker. In verse 4 through 5, Paul says he remembers Philemon in his prayers. He said, I'm praying for you. I'm always remembering you in my prayers. Thank God because of his love for all the saints and faith towards the Lord Jesus. In verse 7, Paul lifts up Philemon by saying how the hearts of the saints have been refreshed because of you, Paul. People are encouraged because of you. Paul specifically mentions Philemon's love toward the saints. Now, let's, let's just talk about that for a second. Often the measure of the Christian faith is by how much we are loving the world by through evangelism. But that's not really sharing the whole gospel. Evangelism is important, right? It's very important, right? How are people going to be able to see, see Jesus, see God, if we don't share our faith and open up our mouths, right? That's part of the way. I'm not saying we should not share our faith or reach out to spread the good news of Jesus. That should be a no-brainer for all of us who are believers. But what I am saying is we need to also keep in mind John 13, which he highlighted today, Dustin, great job, as well. And verse 34 says, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love who? Right here in this room. It starts right here, guys, how we love one another. You want to make impact out there? It starts with how we love one another right here in this room. We can go serve the poor, which is highly important. That's a part of Jesus' ministry, too. We can go share our faith, which is really important. But if we really want to get on the jumbotron screen to reach the lost, it starts with how we treat one another. Well, Damon, you don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have me hooked yet. That's okay. I'll share with you Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And then it has especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, evangelizing is important. But let's not get mad at the church and say we need to evangelize. And use that as a crutch for, for being bitter with one another. Did y'all pick up what I'm putting down? You need to go evangelize. And we do, right? Right? But let's not use that as a crutch for bitterness. If you got an issue with me, come talk to me. But let's, let's get, let's, you know, let's put all the other stuff on the side. Let's talk heart to heart. If you have an issue, let's talk. But let's not use something else as, as a puppet as a crutch, let's deal with our hearts so we don't have any bitterness towards one another. Amen? We need to love one another. We need to have frank conversation with one another. We need to lift up one another. That is how the world will see us as a light that we should be. Amen, church? So, Damon, do, do we serve the poor? Absolutely. Damon, do we do charitable deeds towards others? Absolutely. Do we assist others in our community? Absolutely. We don't do this by prioritizing believers over non-believers. We must figure out how to do both. Sometimes we think it's either or. Guys, sometimes you got to do both. Okay? We got to be able to love each other well as we are serving and reaching those outside the walls of the church. Amen. We see that Philemon 6, you know, in regards to reaching out, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive, recognize what's going on around you, all the good that we may do for Christ. Through all the heartache and pain, 
that some of us have gone through. If you've been around, you've been through some pain in the church. The question we got to ask ourselves is, do we still believe there is more good than bad in the body of Christ? Do we still believe there's more good than bad? That's the question we got to ask ourselves. Paul had an incredible gift to uplift and encourage people. And then I think that helped the way he saw the church. Because guess who is the church? Us. So him building up people helped shape how he saw God in the church. All this encouragement that Paul was given by Lehman, we don't see him encouraging and saying, but don't get prideful. I want to encourage you, but some of us want to be the encouragement police. We want to, we want to ration out encouragement. Oh, I wouldn't encourage him. Why would you encourage him? He ain't doing nothing. That brother ain't served, I don't know how many weeks or years. Some of us want to be the encouragement police. Do you see that with Paul? Paul just get, he just throws it out there. And guess what you do if someone gets prideful? Guess what you do if someone gets prideful after you've encouraged them a lot? Let me tell you what you do. Who wants to know what you do? In plain English, you tell them you're prideful, you're getting prideful. You tell them in plain English. And get this. If you need to correct someone after they know your heart is to encourage them, it's a little bit easier for them to trust you when you give them some constructive feedback. There's a quote that says, do just. Don't just. Don't just learn experience. Don't just read, absorb. Don't just change, transform. Don't just relate, advocate. Don't just think, ponder. Don't just take, give. Don't just see, feel. Don't just dream, do. Don't just hear, listen. Don't just, just talk, act on something. Don't just tell, show. Don't just exist, live. Isn't it easy for us just to do the minimal? Just enough? We gotta, we gotta get inspired to go the extra mile in regards to our walk with God and with one another. How are you doing in the encouragement department? How are we doing in the encouragement department? You know, I really appreciate a couple, Colin and Susan Rodriguez, who just moved here, just moved here a few months ago. Amen. And they have already had probably about a quarter of the southwest region in their home over a meal. Did y'all hear what I said? A couple who just moved to the southwest region a few months ago, they've already had about a quarter of this room in their house for a meal. They live eight minutes from here, so they said, man, and they didn't even know that they were going to be this close to Milano. I don't even think we even had it situated and worked out where we were going to worship at that time. The guy worked it out that, you know, we're going to do, we're brand new here, but we're not going to sit back and just do and just wait. Who's going to build a relationship with me? And I'm sure they've 
mentioned to a lot more people than that small percentage of people to come over for a meal. And probably some people said no, or, you know, we'll get back to you or text me later, or we can't do that week. We'll get with you another week. They just kept being persistent and just trying to have meals with people. I appreciate Jason and Chicky jurisprudencia. They just got restored uh, six months ago. And what did they do? They didn't just do. They didn't just sit and just hope that someone's going to come build a relationship with me. Oh, it didn't work again, so I, I should have just left the church. I should have just stayed away from the church like I did the first time because no one's loving me. No, you know what? They, they came in here and said, hey, uh, do you have a welcome table? I'm like, uh, no, we've been wanting to do that for a while. Okay. He, that, I mean, he just literally left that, okay, over breakfast. And then three weeks later, I show up, and they have a table with coffee and some little snacks out there. And then now we can't even get y'all out of the hallway to come in here to worship God. <laughs> So I'm trying to figure out how to take church to the lobby, right? Street preach around the coffee. God, you know, I'm just playing. They're not just doing enough, the minimum. How we got into a place where we're just so comfortable out here in the suburbs where we were just doing enough. Some of us have all types of bells and whistles and so much talent, and we make six figures at work, but we just sit and just do enough in Bible talk. We just sit here and hope that I can get inspired by the sermon. Oh, man, I know the worship. I don't know about the preacher, but I know the worship going to be on point this morning. So let me just get filled up by the worship this morning. Just go back home and watch TV, grab some dinner, and do it all over again, making my six figures in the comfort of my home driving on my car with all kinds of bells and whistles. But I'm, like, I'm just going to do just enough in my small group. I'm going to do just enough on Sunday. What are you doing to encourage? Are you doing just enough? Or are you trying to go the extra mile? I'll take it a step further. Lindsay. Is Lindsay here? Did you bring the coffee this morning? Thank you for bringing the coffee this morning. The jurisprudentials were sick. They couldn't bring it. Lindsay said, oh, well, we don't just, we're not going to just wait till next week. She went over to their house this morning and has coffee in the lobby for us this morning. Amen. Thank you, Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay's not sitting around waiting for someone to love her and encourage her. She's trying to be the light that she needs to be. She's trying to bring glory to God. So, Amen. Don't make it be that someone hears you talking about them that they miss your saying something good about them. Paul was good about encouraging people. But we all know when Paul had to have a conversation with you, he would. Just look at his letters. He has no problem saying strong things. But the bulk of who he was was to uplift God and uplift people. My third thing I want to share, two more. Paul appeals to Philemon as a brother, not just a father. We see in the earlier passage, he, he, he connects and relates like, this is my son, uh, uh, Onesimus. I'm like, he's like a child to me. Um, and, I, I, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to give you my heart, which is his heart. And um, so we, we know he, he's trained him and mentored him, and he's, he's used him as a son. But we see a transition take place in this short passage where he views him as a brother. This is how we can cultivate the relationships of multi-generational relationships with people that's younger than us. This is how we can cultivate that relationship with people older than us. This is how we can cultivate our relationship with people who are peers to us. 
whenever possible in our relationship with one another. We need to learn the art of appeal rather than command. Paul had all authority as an apostle and a scholar, a father in the faith to both really Philemon and Onesimus, I'm sure. You know for a fact with Onesimus, but he rather appealed to him as a brother. He, we, and we see in the scriptures model going from apprenticeship to partnership, right? Is there a time for apprenticeship? Absolutely. A mentor in our life? Absolutely. Yes. When we see in this short letter with Paul and Philemon, he was a mentor to him. When he first came and became a Christian, he mentored him and he took him under his wing like his own child. In the same way, when someone first gets baptized, uh, they probably need a mentor, right? Um, it doesn't mean you can't learn from them. Uh, I think also when someone gets engaged, there's a time for mentorship. When someone has their first baby, right? I remember Lamont when he didn't have no kids. Now he's got six beautiful kids. He's like, brother, you know I ain't got six kids. I got three kids. Don't be wishing three more kids on me. We all knew each other when we had babies or no kids. We knew, some of us knew each other when we were single, looking crazy. Like, I just want to get married. Marry sign. I'm just, I'm just joking. We didn't look that horrible, but there's a time and place for mentorship for finances or when you're trying to buy your first home, trying to look for a job, trying to start your own business. There's a time for mentorship through different seasons in our life, right? But guess what? You can still learn from one another, even in those relationships. The person I mentor sometimes, I'm always trying to lean in on how I can learn from that person. I can learn from Dustin. Dustin ain't never been married in his life. He's he trying to figure out how to stay dating. Been married for over 20 years. But 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 I need to learn, I need to have a spirit and a heart that I can learn from Dustin the same way he should be able to learn from me. Are you picking up what I'm putting down here? Well, you ain't married, you ain't got no kids. What what can I learn from you? That's gonna help Dustin want to get advice from me, right? True humility means we should be willing to learn something from anybody, regardless of their status. Philippians 2, we see that, right? Jesus considered himself nothing, made himself a servant. But we see here in Philemon, verse 8, he says, For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather, uh, what, appeal to you on the basis of love. You know, it's harder to appeal to somebody. It's easier for me to just tell y'all what to do. Now, y'all wouldn't listen to me. I already know half y'all wouldn't. Be a line of people up here trying to tell me, hey, I can't believe you said that to us. But my point is, is, it's easier to tell people what to do than to appeal to them. That takes a lot more energy and emotion and patience. Sometimes when I have to communicate with my kids, I got to, you know, just bite on my tongue till it starts bleeding because I'm trying to appeal to them sometimes. But I save those times when I need to tell them something for when I really need to tell them something. Paul leans in as a brother or in par as a slave. Or in par as a slave, too. He's like, treat Onismus like you would treat me. Younger Paul probably would have said, do this or do that. Boy, what? End of discussion. You heard me. You heard what I said. Just do what I said. Older Paul wants to appeal to Philemon to obey with the love that Christ has called him to embrace. How could Philemon resist an appeal from Paul from a letter which was written within the walls of prison? Six times in this short letter, Paul refers to him in prison. Verse 1, 9, 10, 13, 22, and 23. And he refers to Onesimus, the slave, as a child, verse 10. 
and tells Philemon, I'm sending him back. It's like sending my own heart back to you in verse 12. That will grip your heart, right? He's trying to provoke emotion, character, and Paul. To treat him like Christ would treat you. Treat him like I would treat you. As I imitate Jesus, I want you to treat Onesimus the same way. Get yourself out of the way. I'm trying to appeal to you that this is not about you. I need you right now to act like Jesus. So to, to, to dig deep. To give to him the same way you love and respect me. Do that with this slave. That's, that's serious, folks. That's what we're supposed to do right here. It's better to appeal on the base of love. Now, where obedience comes from the heart and saves the commands for case-by-case -case situations, even with our children. If all we do is bark at our kids, ooh, that'll come back. Oh, just wait. It'll come back like the 4th of July one day. Pop, 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 pop. You can tell those jokers for a little while until they leave your house what to do. But when they leave, they're going to have something for you coming back later. It's true. I had to have many talks to my own dad. Just like in the last few years. And he got up like he's going to hit me and I didn't move. He's like, oh, he ain't scared of me no more. Not scared of you no more, but I love you. And I want to appeal to you that there's some things that really deeply hurt me. And I know you're an amazing dad. You provide an incredible living for me. Pool in the backyard, car to drive, blah, 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 blah. Never missed a meal, clothes in my back, part of Jack and Jill. And man, y'all. But I am holding on to some pain that I cannot shake. And I want to just talk to you, dad. And he got up. And he turned around and left and he came back and hugged me and cried on my shoulder. And then we had the most wonderful conversation for two hours. And he apologized. But I would have never had that conversation with him if I didn't appeal to him. Let's just skip to the last point and wrap this up. Last, in order to build or maintain godly relationships, when following Christ, relationships can come with a price. There's some relationships that we build and they start off easy and we're just moving along life and we'll hit a bump or something and we'll work it out because it's, they're just easy relationships. They just get me and I just get them and, and we, 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 we marvel. We we're just, thank you God for those relationships, right? Right? But most relationships take work. Some of your best friendship relationships that you don't just want, but that you need take work. You have to forge unity. Blood, sweat, and tears. It's like working out on the gridiron in the football field or on the basketball court. Or in band or track and field, whatever it is. You, you got to work for it. Ain't nothing easy worth having. I dare you to say that. It's not a scripture it's a black man's proverb. <laughs> but he would just walk by me sometime and just throw out a little black man proverb. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Ain't nothing easy worth having, son. <laughs> but my, my, my buddies and I be on our bikes. We'd just be riding our bikes like, what is your dad saying to us? But it makes sense as you get older. We want the easy sometime. We want the just enough sometime. And we know some of us need relationships in here that we got to work for. 
Let me just newsflash. I need John Bean in my life. Don't ever get it twisted. I need Ronnie Ricks in my life. I need Joseph, the Joseph Hammonds in my life. I need the Jerome's in my life. I need different people in my life, the Reggie. I need different people in my life because they won't just tell me what I want to hear. They'll tell me what I need to hear. So many people. I need the Dion's in my life. I need the encouragement. People who will tell you what they, what they feel, but it's, it's encouraging. They're appealing to you. I need all that. John Bean and I are so different, right? Right? No, we're the same? Okay, y'all believe me and James and John the same? Do you have those people in your life, though? Or do you just have people who tell you what your itching ears want to hear? They're afraid to tell you. And then when they tell you, you get all crazy with them. And it's like, see, this is why I want to talk to them in the first place. They don't flip this on me. How is this about me? And I just had, I was just trying to appeal to you with one simple thing. And now it's about me. Relationships come with a cost. Let's just role play and I close out. Runaway slave. A slave runs away from me. I'm losing money. I'm losing time. And he comes back with a letter from another friend of mine and I'm supposed to read this letter and I'm supposed to accept you back as a Christian and I'm supposed to take care of you like a brother, a Christian brother? Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Relationships come with a cost. That's, that's, that's the moral of the story right there. Relationships come with a cost. Paul's cost was twofold. He was willing to part separate ways with Onesimus, even though he, he needed him in verse 11 to 13 and 17. And Paul was willing to repay for any cost that Onesimus had incurred towards Philemon. Paul took a risk with his relationship with Philemon. Him and Philemon could have had a fallout and never spoke again. In a true godly relationship, there are times where you need to be willing to put the relationship on the line for the glory of God. I love you enough to tell you something you don't like because I want to make sure we're giving glory to God and not just being boys. Some of the best God relationships come with a price. Paul not only addresses this letter to Philemon as we wrap up, but also verse 2 to Athia, a sister probably, maybe some people believe it's Philemon's wife. I don't know. It doesn't say it. But Archippus, perhaps the leader of the house church and the entire church that gathered there in his home. Paul included all of them because the matter of forgiving Onesimus and accepting him as a brother in Christ was a matter of corporate testimonial for others to see. It was an opportunity for all to be impacted and for God to be glorified as well as for the gospel to spread in that particular geographic area. God relationships in our homes, in our community, and the church can bring great conflict or they can bring great glory. This short letter to Philemon leaves us with this one question. And I'll give you some practical to consider as you go home. How are you doing in fostering and building and maintaining godly relationships with one another? As we close out, think of one relationship you can celebrate this week. And express your gratitude for them in your life. Number two, think of a relationship that may need to be healed or restored. 
so that God's glory can be seen restoring that fractured, broken relationship. And then set up time. Don't just text them. Try to set up time. We get into this mode where we just text people now. Let's not hide behind the screen. Let's set up time with them or call and FaceTime them. If you really can't get with them, we can see their face. That's the second best way. If you can't get in person, the second best way is face-to-face time on Zoom. And spend time with them. We live in a world today where we have books, podcasts, YouTube channels that subtly tell us how we can live the best life ever. And there is a lot of good stuff we can glean from those things. But really the subtle message that's being sent to us is it's all about you. And it's not bringing glory to God. There's so many subtle messages that come from these where it's, yeah, I need to do this. I need a better, yeah, I'm not going to put up with that crap anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's not bringing glory to God. It's pulling you further from God in a lot of ways, but in a very subtle way. So I'm not saying we don't listen to the podcast and YouTubes. I do. I listen to a lot of them. But I have to make sure I'm listening to the voice of God in conjunction with that. Are you with me here? I can't just take what a YouTuber says. I'm not making his money by these patrons. I got to take what he says and then weigh it with the word of God. Amen. So living a godly life is all about giving full honor and glory to God, which has nothing to do with you. As we close out, let's remember godly perspective helps build godly relationships. Paul uses gifts to help uplift others. Paul appeals to Philemon and Onesimus as a brother, not just as a father. And we're lastly, remember when following Christ, relationships truly will come with a price. God bless you, church.